All right. All right. Good evening, everybody. You guys can put it a little bit softer. It's very loud up here. Thanks. Great. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Philip, and um, I have the privilege of sharing with you the Word of God tonight. Come on. Good. When we open up the Word of God, isn't it a moment that, I mean, we have a privilege of having the Word of God, that we can share and that we can open up, and we have this privilege of having the freedom of this. We come out of two great weeks that we spoke about reach and um, our passion for the nations, and I hope that all of you are clear, and if you've really been with us for the last two weeks, I hope that the Word of God showed you and helped you to come to the conviction that you know it is all of our responsibilities. Some of you are Jewish by background. Okay, none. So you should be very thankful for moments like reach, where Gentiles are included. And so you look at the Word of God and reach, what is reach? Reach is basically our mandate that God has given every human being, if you're a born-again believer, it is our responsibility to take the Word of God, the Gospel of God, to the nations of the world. And the practical way we do it, I think Hansi was preaching on Zoom last week, wasn't it? Okay, he's sitting in Croatia, and you're part of that. And what God has called us to go to nations like Croatia, we will find it is a small percentage of people that really have a relationship with God. And we have the privilege of, and the responsibility to go to these nations and bring the Word of God to those nations. And that's how you and I can be involved in the way that we pray, the way we go to the nations, we send people, and we go on missions to these nations, and then also the way we are financially contributing towards that. I'll give you a quick update, just citywide in all our different congregations. We trusted God for about 100 new partners, okay? There's about 240 existing partners. And now currently, since the last two weeks, now we're standing at 356 partners across the city. Come on. And uh, just to help you understand, it's your tithes and offerings is really what gives you food in the house, okay? Tithes and offerings goes to the local church, local congregation, and a lot of it's used to basically, Bible says that there will be food in my house. It's above our tithes and offerings that people commit. And this is so... People have committed about 1.3 million in the past. And with the new, you know, people have partnered with, guess where we're standing? 1.9, just under 2 million that will go all to church planting. Thank you. You guys are faithful. And it's really exciting to see what God is doing. And the reason why we share with you testimonies and we show you the faces of the people, you know, where we're planting and what's happening with Philip and Marika and Uganda and different places in the world is so that you can trust us because we're responsible. You can't just give money and say, where's the money going? No, we'll show you where the money is going. I think it is important that church is accountable and transparent and that whatever we say we do, we're going to do that because if we don't do that, you're not supposed to give. Okay. Is that a good deal? Because that's what God has called us. And as, as leadership, we take a lot of time and effort. We're going away next week again. We're praying and we're asking God direction. And what are we doing? And what's God called us to do in the next few years? You know, 2030 vision is already on the table. And with the 2030 vision, I mean, we are looking at all our senior leaders. And a week from now, we will sit down and say, guys, who are the next leaders that we're raising that we will send to the nations? And we wrote those names, we write those names down, and then we ask ourselves, where are these people at? 
Is it one year, two years, three years, four years? How do we develop them? How do we grow them? We're very intentional as leadership what we do. This doesn't just happen. It happens because we're intentional. And I want to thank you for trusting us and thank you for partnering with God, not with us. Okay? It's all of our responsibility. We're going to follow through now. In the next four weeks, we're going to speak about on a mission with God. Every one of us are on a mission with God. And we're going to focus the first two weeks on resources, finances, and the last two weeks on relationships. And um, tonight I'm going to take a moment to lay a foundation more than just that you understand. If you look at anything in life, you look at stuff. And we understand, you know, from business right to resources, it's important you and I have the right conviction because our convictions drives our decision-making. If you ask people about opinions, everybody has an opinion. doesn't matter what it is. I mean, as a church leader, I've been in church world many years, and people have all kinds of good opinions, and then sometimes people have kind of bad opinions. And, it's a, you know, a bad opinion is okay, but if you think your bad opinion is a good opinion, then you're actually blind. <laughs> if you think your truth is a truth, but it's actually a lie, the Bible says, how deep is your darkness? If your eye is blind and you think you see, how deep is your blindness? So that's why it's important you and I stick to the Word of God and we open up our hearts. And even as we speak tonight, I don't know your background. I don't know what you've experienced. And sadly, there has been a lot of wrong understanding, even in the church world when it comes to these things. You ask us as a church, why don't we speak about finances every week? How many of you realize we don't? We're not every week standing up and say tithes and offerings, tithes and offerings, tithes and offerings. You know why we don't do that? Because it's not the most important. The most important is Christ and your spiritual growth. But there are moments we have to speak about this. Because if we don't, you'll be financially illiterate. And if you are financially illiterate, you will harm yourself. If you're not understanding where this comes from and how we steward our lives in a way that honors God. Okay, so tonight we are going to go there and tomorrow night, next week again. You know when the Bible repeats something, why does the Bible repeat something? What do you think? Hey? To get the message across. Now here's the thing about the Bible. It's interesting. The Bible is very deliberate about things. Let me quickly show you. I'll give you something interesting. How deliberate the Bible is. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay, and the Bible says, and the river flew from the mountain it's basically a cosmic mountain where God created Adam and Eve and there was a tree. Just quickly show you how deliberate God is and you'll see where I'm going with my message. So there was a tree and, there was, and then Adam and Eve, what did they do? God says, you can enjoy everything, but that tree is mine. It's amazing when you say to a child, you can do everything, just don't do that. What did they do? They go to that, don't do, even if they don't even like it, they just want to do it because it says No. <laughs> God says, that is my tree. Obey me. What do they do? They go for the thing they're not supposed to go for. And here they fall out of God's presence. So then God ultimately see this, the sinfulness of mankind and he gets Noah. And what does he do? He said, puts Noah in a boat. A boat is made out of wood. And then it rains and the whole earth is washed. Where does the boat end up? On a mountain, what does the dove get? A flower, a leaf. A leaf comes from wood. 
Later on, you find Abram. God says, go and offer your son. Where does he go? On a mountain. Where does he put his son down? On wood. Abram. God says, come to our presence. Where do you find Abram? On a mountain. What is burning? Wood. You see where I'm going? Then you go to the New Testament. Where do you find Jesus? On a mountain. Hang on a wood. The gospel was preached from the beginning. The Word of God is not one place in the Word of God. It's unintentional. Sing, sing, sing. Psalm 67. From sing, 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 it says, proclaim, proclaim, say, say, say. What do you say? What you see, who God is. And then it says, again, it goes back to it. It says, sing, sing, sing again. When the Word of God repeats something, it makes, it emphasizes a matter of importance. When God says something over and over and over, it's for you and me to say, stop, alert, important. So here's a few interesting facts. Savior, you find in the New Testament about 92 times, it's mentioned Savior. You know what, you know what Savior means? It's somebody who saves you. Some of you need some saving sometimes. Okay, we all do. You know, that's, isn't it good news? When you're in trouble, you have a Savior. You know, when you're, you're messed up, you have a Savior. And it's good. We believe in a Savior. But when we introduce a Christianity that is only about a Savior, we misposition Jesus in your life that you will never serve Him. You'll always use Him. Because He's a Savior. Let me tell you how many Christians live, live dysfunctional, irresponsible lives, they're not fully committed to Christ because they were introduced to a Savior and not to a Lord. 92 times he speaks about Savior. 747 times is mentioned Lord. How's the emphasis here? Do you know that there's not one scripture that says you get saved because you believe He's a Savior? You get saved because you confess Him as Lord. When you ask Jesus as Lord, it changes your commitment. It changes your belief system. It changes the way you see Christianity. It changes the way you approach Jesus. It changes the way you look at life, you look at people, you look at the resources, because when He is the Lord, He is the boss. You see, many people want to stay in charge, and they just want Jesus to keep on rescuing them. It creates a consumer Christianity. Where people arrive at churches and say, what does the church do for me? You know, I don't like this. Let me go to another church. What I get from this church? You see, that's consumer mentality. That's not Christianity. In fact, it's not biblical. True Christianity is seen in something else, and we're going to look at it tonight. There's about over 500 verses that speaks about prayer. Over 500 verses that speaks about faith. And guess what? Over 2,000 verses speaks about finances. How's that for an emphasis? Why? Why finances? It's not as if God needs money. You see, because God understands the heart of the human being. He understands the condition and the depth of our depravity and how quickly we move our trust away from Him to something else. And one of the biggest ways you can see people's trust is in the way they spend their resources. It's the way they steward their finances. You see, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And we're going to get to that scripture. 
It's important we understand this. There's an emphasis. Out of the 38 parables that Jesus spoke about, 16 of them, He spoke about finances. Why? Because the Bible is very clear. No man can serve both God and money. He's not saying it's difficult. He's saying it's impossible. You see, if you think it's difficult, you're missing the point here. He's saying you cannot serve money and God. You will serve the one and use the other one, or you'll serve the other one and use the other one. You see, there's nothing wrong with money. Money takes on the spirit of the beholder. The one with the wallet, that's the spirit of the money. He's not saying money is evil. You should take all your money and throw it away. He's saying the love of money. It's when we start to make more of money and possessions and things and cars and houses than what it's supposed to be. It is a means to an end. It's not the end itself. Money has no value. You go to nations. I remember a while ago, somebody gave me a million dollars. dollars. That dollar was, is expired. It's in my, it lies in my, in my home. It's not even my, in my safe. It's got no value. See, money does not have value. When does money get value? I want pounds. I want a dollar. Oh, it's got more value. No, let me tell you, money has no value. What money does do, it gives you and me actually the ability to do what we want to do that's in our hearts. Nobody wants just money. They want something and they know money can help them to get that. That's why people have money. That's why people look at adverts and we buy the stuff we don't need and then we are stuck with the stuff we did not want and then we're in debt and therefore we have to work overtime to pay the stuff we never wanted. And we thought we want. And then we buy again more stuff and then we work harder and we work more time to chase what? The word of God protects us from this. Money is not evil. Friends, you and I need food. We need to do things. In fact, if we look at the world and we want to reach the world, we need billions if we want to reach the world. See, money serves the master. And if you and I under the lordship of Christ, then money is just a means to another end, to something else. But if we serve something else, then money starts to become the idol in our hearts and it moves our love away from God. That's why more than 2,000 scriptures speaks about money. It moves people's hearts. How many have seen people, when they battled, they were okay. When they became rich, things changed. Not always, because it's not money. It's the temptation that money brings. You see, all that money does, it empowers you to do what's in your heart and do it much quicker and much faster and much more excessively. If people, someone is corrupt, give them money, they'll be more corrupt and they'll do more because they have money to do more corruption now. If somebody's wicked, they'll use money to express their wickedness. If somebody's godly, they'll use money to expand God's kingdom. They will use money to say, Lord, how? You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, who saw him first? The gods, not Mary, the gods, ungodly people. They want a savior. They looked at it and said, he's alive. I mean, imagine that shock moment. You're standing at the grave and here walks out a mummy. 
You saw him with your own eyes. They ran to the high to the high priest and said, "We saw Jesus rose from the dead. He promised he's going to do it, and we saw him. He did." What did they do? They paid them money to lie. Thirty shekels. I was in Israel. You go to the wailing wall. Those Jews are still standing against that wall, waiting their Messiah, because somebody paid tipped off other people for 30 seconds. Nations are still in bondage today. He did rise. They saw him, but they spread a lie. So here's the thing that money does. You will either finance the truth or the lie. That's the only thing you'll do with your money ever. You know why people make horrible movies? Because you pay for it. Because if you're not paying for it, they can't make movies. You're either going to finance the truth or you're going to finance the lie. That's what we do. People say to me sometimes, Phil, but oh, the, oh, the church, luckily, we don't do this every Sunday, but people say sometimes, you know, the church only wants my money. Thank you for exposing your heart. You just shared with me you actually want your own money. We don't realize how corrupt and depraved we are in our own hearts. Now let's go into the scripture. Let's see what the word of God says about this. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 11. To this point, um, this point, uh, the, the point is this. It's a point. Okay. It's amazing how it starts. He says, the point is this. What is he trying to say to you? Emphasis. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctant or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, emphasis, 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 you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. I just want to park me and continue. Quickly, he's talking about he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Now, next week, we're going to speak about generosity. I'm not going to do that tonight. I'm going to lay a foundation that you would understand who's really the owner here. But listen to this. says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctant or under compulsion. Not because somebody's asking you, not because you feel guilty, but because of your heart. But if you think about the scripture, it says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Think what the scripture is really saying to us. That scripture says, each one's giving is revealing his heart. You look at your giving, your heart is exposed. Because he says, each one must decide in his heart what you want to give. So when you give, your heart is exposed. What is in your heart? See, God is never into the whole thing. Sadly, when you find financial manipulation and, and, and you know, kind of abuse and people kind of forced into things, then the heart is not in it. That's not God's heart. Ladies, who if you would love your husband or your boyfriend, if he says to you, you can have everything but my heart. Ah, it's not going to work. 
I know you, you know it's not going to work. You see why? Because you want to know, is your heart in it? The box played well yesterday. Their hearts were in the game. It was tight. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's, there's something about heart. When you say somebody's heart is in a game, somebody's heart into something, you mean the vi most vital organ is an expression of something. God does not want your money. I'll prove it to you. He has your money already. He wants your heart. This is a heart matter. Now I'm going to focus on verse 10 and 11. It says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread to the, for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increasing the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God gives us, He who supplies, He who supplies. Who is He? Do you know who this He is? Do you know who's this He who supplies? He supplies two things. He supplies seed and bread. You know the difference? Bread you eat, seed you sow. My parents are farmers. They never eat all their seed because then you have no harvest next year. You know how many people battle? Because you eat all the seed as if it's bread. He gives, he who supplies gives you two things. There's two type of budgets. There's your seed budget and there's your eat budget. And we live in a consumer world that thinks everything we get we need to eat. And it's amazing when we get more, we eat more. And it is not just what goes in here. It is what we buy. It is what we drive. It is what we, oh, the, you know, the ads always tell us your car is not good enough. You need that car. And then, no, not that car. Then that car. You know what? If you drive in that car, it's going to solve your insecurities. No, it's just going to amplify your insecurities. It's not going to solve the stuff in your soul that you're chasing. When I checked last time, that car and this car gets to the same point. That's nothing wrong driving a different car. They're there. We just not confuse our budgets. There's a seed budget and there's a sowing budget. Seed you sow, bread you eat. Bread is God saying, I will make sure you are satisfied, that you are looked after, that your needs and your wants and things, I can look after. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. You seek my kingdom, I will look after your kingdom. You seek me first, I'll look after you. God wants to give you bread. God doesn't want you to keep on suffering. He wants you to have the principles in place. But he says, at the same time that you have bread, I've given you seed. Don't confuse the two. He says, you'll be enriched in every way. You will be enriched. He who gives seed, he who supplies, says you will be enriched. It's not talking about becoming rich. He says you will have enough so that in every way you can be generous. There's three things and we need to understand three foundations, and I'm going to be short and sweet that you understand. The first foundation, Genesis 1 verse 27 to 30. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the living creatures that moves on the ground. So God says, he made everything. Before we were there, before Adam was there, before Eve was there, 
And then he made Adam and Eve. He says, come check out. I made everything. Plants, animals, everything. You know what? Gold, coals, you call it, whatever, whatever mineral, whatever we make, whatever technology we have today, it was there. There's not a human being or one of these clever guys that said, I made out of nothing something. No, they all borrowed from God. Every single human being on the face of the earth took from God's stuff and made what they made and their arrogance doesn't want to recognize that. Before we were there, it was made. And then God said, I give you seed-bearing plants, seed-bearing flowers, seed-bearing, I mean, trees. Why? Seed-bearing. He's using the word seed again. Seed means the ability empowered to produce, to multiply, to become more. So what is the first point? God is the creator. Honor Him. Our finances, our resources. Is God empowering us to honor Him who made everything? He is the honor, the creator of everything. He's the creator of earth. He's the creator of man. He blessed man. Means He empowered him with the ability to multiply and create out of what is more. He who supplies. Who is He? First of all, He is the creator. He's the one able to make all grace abound to us. What is grace? Grace is God giving us the ability to do what we cannot do. God is, grace means God empowers us to get right what we cannot do by ourselves. God says, I made everything within it, in the seed form of it. Everything is here. You've got it. The second point we see about God is John 1 verse 12. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Who was that? It's Jesus. Verse 14 says, that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. It says, He was in the beginning with God. And then he goes and says, powerful statement, all things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. He's not saying he made TVs. He just said he made everything that TVs are made with. He didn't make cars. He says, I made everything that you use to make cars. All things that is made was made by him first. What is he saying? You see, we make leather bags in our company and we can say, oh, that's our bags. But seriously, we use leather and we use all kinds of other stuff that I don't make. And in fact, no human being on the face of the earth can make leather because leather comes from animals and animals is God made animals. So how do you ever become really the true owner if you are not the creator of something out of nothing? See, not only is God the creator, everything that is made he made, he's actually the true owner. And this is a vital place for you and me to understand when it comes to resources and tithing and offering and give there and give that and your time and your talents and your treasures. It is important to understand this. 
that God is the creator and God is the owner. Where does it place us? Come back next week, you'll find out. You see, God is the owner of everything. Psalm 50 verse 10 to 12 says, for every beast of the forest is mine. Wow. Every animal, every lion, every cattle, every sheep, all of it is mine. All the cattle on a thousand hills is mine. I know all the birds of the hill and all the moves on in the field is mine. It says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. Why? For the whole world and its fullness is mine. Is that an arrogant statement or a true statement? So what is arrogance? It's when you claim something that's not yours. Why do we run into trouble? Because we overextend our ownership. Why do we become independent and arrogant in the sense of, oh, I don't need to do that? It's because we don't know who God is. When we put God back in His place, we are not putting back in His place. When we recognize His place and put ourselves back in our place, things start to change. Friends, we worry about tomorrow. The Bible says, go to the birds. They don't worry. Why? Because they know the owner. It's when you and I take ownership, fear into our lives because we cannot control tomorrow. We want to own today, but we can't control tomorrow. It's when we leave God on His throne, things work out. That's what the Bible says to tell us. He says He's the owner of all things. And the last thing we see here, God is not only the creator, He's not only the owner, He's also the provider. See, you look at God, you and I, whom of you have given your life to Jesus? How did you get that right? I was sitting on the airplane on a Thursday, flying back from George, and there was a student, a girl sitting next to me, we started talking and started asking her questions, and I said, you know, what do you believe? What's your faith? She said, oh, I'm a Christian. I said, oh, that's amazing. And we started talking, and I just asked her a simple question, which I usually do when people say they're a Christian. She says, tell me, how did you become a Christian? Oh, no, I was born in a Christian home. I've always been a Christian. That is a great answer, but that's a good setup. So we started talking. I said, let me ask you. And we had a really gentle conversation. She was a sweet lady. And so we started talking and talking. I said, listen, tell me, what would you say if somebody else was sitting here today in my seat and they looked at it and says, you're a Christian. Can you tell me how I become a Christian? What would you say? And I kept quiet. And she kind of said, you know, you should live good lives and you should go to church and, you know, the usual, you must do a lot of things. I said, how are you doing with all those lot of things? Are you failing? Or are you doing good? Ah, it's tough. I'm not really, are you getting it 100% right? No, I'm not. So how is you, how's your saving yourself? Could you sound, that sounds exactly like religion. In all religions is what, the, what human beings must do for their God. In Christianity, it's the total opposite. It's what God did for us before we did anything. I shared with her the gospel. I had a privilege on the airplane. She gave her life to Christ. She's from Mossel Bay. I called our church in Mossel Bay. I said, listen, you need to follow up on this lady. They just moved down to Mossel Bay. She gave her life to Jesus. Would you please disciple her? 
You see, we're sitting and talking about this. You say, God is the one who is the one who gives us life. You've got born again. You're sitting here tonight and say, I know Jesus. And we have the word of God. Has God not been generous to us? He's a generous God. How can we respond? Why don't we try to be like Him? Let's not try to be like the world, the stingy world, the moaning world, the opinion world. Let's be humble people who want to be like Jesus. If Jesus is generous, I want to be generous. That motivates me, not people. Now let's look at the word provider. The word provider comes from a Latin two words, which means pro videra. Pro videra. Pro means before. Videra, to see. Provision means God provides before we see he already has an outcome. Providera, provision, vision means to see something that is not yet and we already invest in something that is not yet. If you think about when God sends us to nations, what do we see? No, we're not just seeing Hansi and Marna sitting in Croatia and they've taken two and a half years to learn the language. No, we see five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, Croatians serving Jesus. In fact, not even having them like staying there anymore. We see them giving over to local people who actually start to serve God and generations of Croatians starting to serve Jesus. That's providera. We see way beforehand. Now, God does that. And I want to take you to a scripture that proves this. Genesis 22, verse 8. And 13 to 18, says, Abram answered his son, Dad, where are we going? He says, son, we're going to make an offering unto God. And then he asked the question, what are we going to offer, Dad? And Abram turned to his son wisely and said, God himself will provide. But in the back of his mind, he knows, Abram, I'm going to put you on the altar. Think about your own children. Think about your dad who said he's going to offer you. That's what's going on here. And Abram had, must have had this deep turmoil in his soul. I cannot kill my son. But you know what? I trust God because God would not, God has got something, something's going to happen. I know God will providera before we see, he'll provide. And he says to his son, God will provide. So he goes on, ultimately, Abram looked up and there was a ram. And God provided. And he took the ram and he made an offering. And they called that place, God is my provider. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And so many Christians use that word. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Hang on. Whenever you want to use scripture, go back to context. Don't use it out of context. Here's the context. It's not what you get. It's actually what you've given up. Wow. That kills the prosperity sermon quickly. Abram was about to kill his son. That's the context here. Abram was not asking for money. Jehovah Jireh talks about something much deeper. God says, Abram, you know that you have my heart. How many of you know that God's heart is after you? How many have seen God doing things for you? How do you know that? It's really simple. You've seen it in God's sacrifice. He died for you. He gave his life. You cannot explain God's love unless you cannot. You will not be able to even word God's love for you unless you point to a sacrifice. 
So how do we know you love God? Where's your sacrifice? God says, Abram, you know you have my heart. But when you were willing to put your son on the altar, that moment something changed. And I know now, Abram, I have your heart. See, many times when we seek sacrifice, we don't realize it's the ultimate test of Christianity. It's the place where you say, God, I trust you. You have my heart. It's never been about money. You get it? It's about worship. It's about serving God with all your heart. Friends, these open chairs, it's only going to be filled with people who have a heart after God. Say, God, we want to see our community change. It's always about a heart. I want to encourage you tonight. You look at Abram and God provided. God will provide for you also. Deuteronomy 8, verse 18, 7 18 says, You may say in your, to yourself, My power and my strength and my hands have produced this wealth for me. And all the word says, Be careful. Remember the owner. Remember the God. Remember who's really the owner. Friends, let's not find ourselves in a place of arrogance where we think we are self made people. We are not. We're borrowing from the Creator. Your skills, your brain, your ability, whatever you have, He's the owner. He's the one who gave it to us. So let me conclude. God is, He is the, the Creator. When I, in Cape Town, many times I look at um, the mountains. And uh, Table Mountain, and you know, sometimes in Cape Town, you can wake up in the morning and you see, look outside, and there's no Table Mountain. It disappeared. Guess where it is? It's behind the mist because you can't see it. Now, the fact that you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. You with me? It just means there's mist. Doesn't matter what you and I believe, doesn't matter how we live. At the core of everything, the truth is this God is the creator. No evolution can change that. There's no wise professor that will ever be able to change this because it's not an idea. It's the truth. God is the owner. He's the creator and therefore the owner. And he's also the provider. We need him to provide. Friends, he knows you and I need emotional provision. He knows we need salvation. And not just getting saved once. He's continually being saved. Lord, help us. He also knows that we need Him in our lives. And He's available. But the question tonight is, how are we responding to God? I'm there for you also. I want to see your kingdom come. I want to participate, not just being a spectator. I want to participate and see your kingdom come. And a little bit I can do. How can you participate? You participate in the way you respond. By saying, Lord, I'm giving you my, my life. I'm giving my skills. I'm giving my talent. I give you everything. How do I serve you? At the core of Christianity, throughout generations, it's been normal people like you and me that were deeply convicted about Jesus and start to serve Him with no compromise. 
you have that choice in your generation. And the way you serve Jesus today, that exact foundation will be laid in your children's life once you have children. I look at my boys today and I feel so much more responsible than just leading a church. Because those two sons of mine will serve Jesus because I look at my life. Christianity is one generation from being extinct. I look at Christians sometimes, just take Sundays. Oh, let's go play golf. Let's go do cycling. Okay. And so your children, they'll do a double. One generation later, they don't go to church anymore. Two generations, they don't believe in Jesus anymore. That's how quick it is. Let's serve the creator of the universe with all our hearts. Let's give him everything because it belongs to him in any case. When you give it away, you have no more worries because it's not yours, it's his. One day, Lord, have my life. Have everything. I'm serving you. If you're sitting here tonight with worries, why don't you surrender? Some of you are great entrepreneurs. God's got ideas and God's given you ideas. Do it with all your might and do it with all your strength. Just never become the owner. Have I been tested? Deeply. I'm not preaching you something that I don't preach to myself, dear friends. And I can say, look you in the eye today. This, this is something that I've come to a place, Lord, we are literally instruments. Live for something way bigger. Make the millions. Say, Lord, I want to, why did you dream about God if you're in Tremere? I want to make money. I want to make millions to give away, not to half, not to keep. If you've got talents, why don't you say, Lord, I want to use my talents to change society. If you're a lawyer, why don't you change laws and things? Why don't you dream bigger than just breathing in air and waking up and go to bed and sleep and watch TV and die? There's so much more because we have the Creator in our lives. He's for you. I ask you tonight, will you be for me? Does He have your heart? Father, we thank You for these incredible people. You have our hearts. And as human beings, we move our hearts so quickly again. Help us. Keep our hearts. Keep us in love with You so that we never do things because we have to. We never even gave our tithes and offerings or more than that, so into things because we have to. We do this because we love you. Thank you for our talents. We serve you with that. Thank you for time that we still have. The clock is still ticking and we can, we're alive. May we make every minute count. Thank you for relationships. May we be faithful with our relationships. Thank you for friendships. May we be faithful with those friendships. Thank you for the ability to do things. May we be faithful with everything you've given us. Lord, I bless these people, every single one of them. May they experience you in incredible ways. May they love you and obey you. Not because we have to, because you are treasure and we serve you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.